I've been through the process three times um, where the company I was working for got acquired. The first time I was scared. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was going on. I was very young in my career. I didn't know if that meant I had a job and, and all that kind of stuff. Hello, welcome to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcome Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. This week, I am welcoming back a uh, previous guest, Mike Pekatowski. He's been on the show a couple times, and he's talked primarily around what owners and practice managers should think about when it comes to selling or exiting their business. So if you want to sell your business, what's the roadmap to do that? This time, we've got them coming back and we're flipping the tables. So we're talking about what to look for if you are in the situation of either wanting to purchase or an acquire an already running healthcare practice. Primarily, you know, Mike is a, is a physical therapist, so he's going to talk a lot about the metrics and some of the things to think about from a PT standpoint. But acquiring a healthcare practice has a lot of similarities depending, regardless of what subspecialty or clinical discipline you're looking at. A lot of the financial metrics are going to be the same. A lot of the the philosophy about uh, purchasing, acquiring, training, onboarding staff, all that is going to be the same. So anyways, we're talking specifically about if you are a practice owner, maybe looking to add another location or two by merging or acquiring a competitor or another player in the space, or if you're somebody who's maybe worked in healthcare for a while and now you're looking at taking the plunge and instead of building something from the ground up, you want to purchase an already existing practice or maybe you work in a clinic as a clinician and the owner is planning on retiring or leaving and you're looking at getting into an ownership or stepping into an, an equity level position in that organization, this uh, interview and this conversation should hopefully provide a little bit of guidance and a, kind of a high level overview of what to look for. These are the big areas to be thinking about, both from the financial perspective, what should the numbers look like to make it a good investment? And then also, what do we do about the people that are going to remain at the organization after it gets purchased? So what are we going to, what do we have to put in place as far as training, onboarding, culture, staff turnover, all of that sort of thing that kind of gets left um, as an afterthought <laughs> a lot of times, especially if it's your first acquisition or something like that. I know that when I purchased the clinic that I run now, it was kind of a, my eyes were open to how complex the the transaction was going to be in and of itself. I mean, you had you know money put it, getting put in escrow and um, earnouts and non competes and all that kind of thing, and then you also had the the fact that you had a team now that you had to lead and train and you know maybe change some systems and processes in order to align with either your philosophy of care, or your philosophy of doing business and what was currently or what had been the past operating procedures at the business. So it can be a little uh, complicating, a little daunting. As I mentioned to to Mike, it's not like buying a car. 
you know, when you buy a business, there's a lot that goes into it. You need to do a good amount of due diligence before you sign an LOI or make an offer. You need to first, and Mike is, is a big proponent of this, understand where the practice sits from a financial perspective, because you can't even start mentioning price or talking about price or what it would look like if you don't have a true understanding of what the business is actually worth. Um, a lot of times I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who bought a, this was a different uh, area. It was not, I'm in physical therapy, occupational therapy space, and he runs in, in a different specialty area. And they bought their practice uh, on a multiple of like top line revenue, which to me was crazy. Um, Mike talks a little bit about how we would go about valuating a healthcare practice, typically in general, using EBITDA um, or earnings before interest, taxes, and amortization. He breaks that down a little bit and kind of with the multiples that you would want to look at and also kind of how you arrive at that number. Like how do you even arrive at what the EBITDA is? What are the things you need to be cognizant about when you're making that calculation. So anyways, hopefully you find this conversation enlightening and um, if nothing else gives you something to think about if you are potentially considering purchasing or acquiring a healthcare practice in the future, or maybe you're on the flip side and you're looking at selling and this is what the uh, a buyer or the, the person that's acquiring a practice is going to be looking for and some of the things that they're going to want to have in hand before they even start talking about price. So without further ado, here's Mike Pikatowski talking about what to look for and think about when you're acquiring a private healthcare practice. Well, hey, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing great, Rafi. Great to be back. Yeah, you've been on the show a couple of times. So for those that have not heard of you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do at Physical Therapy Brokers, and, and we'll kind of just dive right into the topic of what to look for when purchasing or, or acquiring a, a practice. Yep. So uh, my name is Mike Pekatowski. I am a PT by trade, um, worked in various positions throughout the years, but the last nine years I've spent in the uh, mergers and acquisitions side of the business. Um, seven of those years as a buyer uh, for large strategic um, private equity backed and publicly traded companies. Um, in the last two years, I've been working on the sell side, helping uh, people who want to sell their practices or um, smaller practices who wish to buy uh, other practices. So I've been doing that on my own for the last couple of years, and it's been a blast. So yeah. My uh, my website is physicaltherapybrokers.com, and the company is called Physical uh, physical therapy practice sales and consulting. So, uh, if anyone wants to look that stuff up. Yeah. Awesome. Which is why we want to talk with you today. So, um, probably most of the people that are listening to the show might have a practice. Maybe they've got a couple locations, um, and they've kind of grown organically, but now maybe they're looking at, okay, we're going to buy a practice to kind of expand our footprint or, or, or whatever. Maybe they're just looking at, at acquiring a practice. Um, this is not like buying a car. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so I guess maybe outline like what are some of the big things we need to look for? Maybe we'll just kind of dive into the, the nitty gritty of each. So like top three things when you're looking at purchasing a practice, specifically in the physical therapy space, and what are the big three things we need to be looking at? So uh, the first thing I would say is do not go right into haggling price until you have the information you need. Okay. Um, I have walked into 
mid-process deals where that's where the negotiation started before they really knew anything about each other. And all of a sudden the, you know, the deal terms that were originally proposed don't seem to work based off of the the numbers. So um, you know, that's that's a that's a big mistake. Um, and I see it happen <laughs> multiple times. So it's, you know, I think everyone wants to get into deal price right away, especially when you're not experienced with this. And that's not where you want to go. So what you really want to look at, you know, the top top three, whatever uh, things you want to look at is you want to um, get the financials and be able to, if it's not already done, uh, break that information down into your uh, EBITDA and adjusted EBITDA. Um, yeah. That's going to be a critical piece. So break uh, that down for us, the difference between EBITDA and adjusted EBITDA. Yeah, so uh, EBITDA will just uh, remove uh, interest, taxation, depreciation, and amortization. So as that stuff, it's pretty easy to quantify on, on a traditional P&L, and, and you can, there are usually line items on there, so you can pull them right out. And you can come to a uh, an EBITDA pretty quickly. Now, the adjusted EBITDA does take a little bit of experience to go through. And, and um, so it's kind of the art uh, side of the, yeah. of the equation where you really have to dig into the expenses to understand one-time expenses, uh, reimburse, or um, sorry, uh, um, pay, pay any pay differences for the owners. Um, there could be simple things like you know, if you're looking at a 12 month period and there's only 11 rent payments in there, so you have to adjust for that. So there's there's just a lot of little things you want to look through to make sure that that you have the numbers that are accurate and tight and and um, and that what you're uh, paying a multiple on is truly what um, what it, the value of the business is from a from an adjusted EBITDA standpoint. So tons of little things. Too much to go into. That's a whole show in and yeah. of itself, probably. Um, so those are the two two main numbers that you want to be able to, to derive from in, in your PLs. And everything in the in the PT world is going to be based off of the trailing twelve months uh, performance. Um, and so that will set establish a kind of a, an EBITDA um, target. And then you know as you go through the diligence process, you're going to be looking closely to make sure that 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 uh, there are no significant changes in that EBITDA target over the two to three months that you're doing your diligence. Okay, yeah. And some things like you said, like big capital expenditures, owners perks and stuff like that, you need to, you need to make adjustments for all of that before you say, okay, this is gonna be what we base the multiple off of, right? 100%, yeah, that's all that stuff can be uh, uh, wound in there. It really depends on uh, the accountant uh, or, the uh, I should say the accounting system that's that's used by the by the practice and um, you know you just have to be familiar with what you're looking for and and where to look and um, you know what reports are going to help you really drill down into that pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, okay. So you you get the financials, you get the EBITDA. What else are we looking for? So the next piece that uh, that I'd be interested in is the operational metrics. Um, so that'd be, you know, just your visits, your new patients uh, trended. Um, so, um, you know, units build um, and then some productivity type met metrics uh, just to understand, um, you know, if there's any uh, opportunities for improvement there. So, um, 
there are things that um, you want to understand about a practice to make sure that they fit philosophically with your practice. And, you know, by, by looking at the metrics, um, for instance, uh, you know, visits per new patient and units per visit, you can kind of get a sense, do they operate similarly to the way that you operate? And, um, you know, there are, um, you know, opportunities if the, if the, if the numbers are different, um, you know, it could be perceived as an opportunity if the numbers are different in a bad way. They could be looked at looked at as, oh my God, this might you know, this isn't going to be able to operate the same way after I own this this business going forward. Um, it doesn't fit with the way that we typically do things. And so those are major factors in you know how aggressive you want to be with um, an offer. Um, you know, if you have a lot of synergies in there or things that are going to improve value, that things that, that you think are, um, you know, easily fixed or, or improved, you know, by utilizing your systems and your procedures, your training, all that kind of stuff, then that's a, that's valuable to you because, you know, hopefully you're going to buy something at a lower multiple or a lower, um, purchase price and you're going to turn it into something that's more valuable fairly quickly just by implementing some of your uh, processes, et cetera. And then there are dis-synergies where um, there are, you know, going to be changes in the way that the, the business operates today. And, and those can be perceived, you know, negatively by the, um, by the staff. Um, those can be, um, you know, cost money um, um, or reduce revenues or, or, increased expenses and and all those things need to be factored into whether or not you know that's it's going to have an impact in your financial investment and impact your ROI. Um, so you know the the synergies and dissynergies need to be evaluated and and uh, understood to 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 a point where um, you know you're comfortable that what you're buying is what you think you're buying and you're comfortable with what uh, type of training commitment that you're getting into, or, or if it, if they operate very similarly to you, you know there's going to be very little training that you have to do, and, and and it's kind of an easier integration model. So all those things need to be uh, assessed and 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 you know at least uh, understood before you are are ready to sign in sign in an LOI or get get involved. To, yeah. To well, and you mentioned training and and whatnot for the new staff or for the the staff of the the clinic that gets acquired is there like an industry kind of norm or standard that okay if if a clinic is purchased or a practice is purchased there's just going to be there's going to be some turnover right people are going to leave they're going to want to do you know maybe they don't want to be acquired they want to go work somewhere else whatever the case may be is there like a something that that owners or potential buyers should be planning for like, okay, I'm going to buy this practice. There's 10 therapists working here now, and I can count on X number of them leaving just based off of normal turnover. So, so in general, the, the turnover in most acquisitions is not huge. Yeah. Um, especially if the buyer does it well. Um, so it's, it really comes down to if the buyer spends time with the individual employees and makes them feel comfortable with what's happening, uh, eliminates the the scariness um, that that some people feel. 
um, when they're going through an acquisition. Um, I, I always relate this, and, and this is this. Let's start here. Um, I've been through the process three times um, where the company I was working for got acquired. The first time, I was scared. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was going on. I was very young in my career. I didn't know if that meant I had a job and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was a little scary and I had and I had some questions. Um, the second time I went through it, um, I knew what was going on um, and I knew it was a is a good thing. Um, so um, what happened with me was that that second time that I went through, I recognized this was an opportunity for me personally to grow professionally and working with a large organization and get involved in different things and and have opportunities that you wouldn't have at a smaller organization. And the third time I did it, um, I you know had some equity in the company and and it was a again a very good thing and it was a it was a um, you know it was it was a goal that we that we had from as a leadership team from from you know from the get go. So um, you know again a very very good positive thing. So <clears throat> I think, you know, at, depending on where you are in your, your career and, and where you want to go, this can be perceived as something scary. It can be something is something perceived as something awesome. And you have to understand that about your staff and who might be in one bucket or the other. There are going to be some people that are indifferent, but, you know, about 20% are going to be ecstatic about it. 20% are going to be scared about it. And the rest of the people are just going to have a few questions in the middle. And you want to make sure that you make sure you spend some time with those people that are scared or have some questions to just make sure that they're comfortable with the process. And the buyer should assist you with that process, develop a good plan on, on how that works, when the right time is to, to talk to everyone and have the right information available quickly and early on in the process so that everyone doesn't feel that everyone feels comfortable moving forward. If, when you do that, there's very little turnover um, at the time of close. Now, a year a year from now, if things don't work out, there, you might have one or two people that that leave, and you know I think the turnover rate's generally around ten percent. Um, um, and you know if you look at it over over the course of a year, yeah. Um, but the, at close, if it's done well, you shouldn't really lose too many people. There are there every once in a while you're gonna have people that just I don't want to be part of this for whatever reason. They might have a personal reason, whatever. And that's fine. Um, you're going to have those folks, but but uh, by and large, most people, as long as you spend the time with them, are going to at least give it a good sh good shot uh, and and go through the process. And you shouldn't really experience much much turnover. Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny. That's when I was purchasing the practice that I run now. I don't think that was something that I ever really took. Like I did not appreciate it, yeah. <laughs> the importance of it. It was a small team. There were only four people, uh, but the previous owners took the time to like, all right, you're going to sit down with Raffi. You're going to have a, you know, like a little mini interview. And um, yeah, we didn't lose anybody, which is great. But, you know, purchasing something that maybe is running at a higher clip now, we've got 10 employees and all this is going on. And maybe one key employee leaves. You're like, we don't want, want to make sure that that does not happen. Right. Exactly. Right and I think that's another uh, critical point uh, in your list of your top three is who are the important people in that purchase that you need to go through? This is a relationship business. Yeah. So by and large, a lot of times it's the owners of the practice that are the critical people to make sure that they're they're going through. But not always. There are some folks that have delegated or or they have 
uh, all-star PTs, um, you know, who are guys and gals who own all the relationships in the area, who really uh, have a good, um, um, you know, uh, uh, connection with the community. Um, and, and those are the people that, you know, you need to to make sure are coming along for the ride afterwards. And so you really have to identify those. That way, if you do have someone that doesn't want to join the bus, you know, jump on the bus as, as you're as it's coming by, you want to make sure it's not one of the people that are essential. And we we call that an essential employees list. Um, just making sure that that those folks for sure are coming through in the transaction. So yeah. And I'm assuming there's things you can do on the buy side to kind of incentivize those those employees, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, a good, uh, a larger strategic buyer is going to have a lot of resources behind them. Yeah. And, you know, um, they will do all kinds of analysis on the benefits, you know, benefit packages you offer versus what they offer and, and uh, compensation packages, PTO packages, and they will be able to really calculate it out so that, you know, we're making sure that no one's losing anything. Um, Cause that's ultimately, you know, I guess the way that a lot of people look at it is, um, you know, whenever somebody is selling a practice, there's three main questions that, that I always hear is, you know, what's my practice worth? I get that one, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen to me afterwards. And third, and just as important, what's going to happen to my team. And so, you know, making sure that your team is taken care of and making sure you have conversations with the buyer early on, or, or if you're the buyer, making sure you're open to those conversations um, to make sure that you're going to make everyone whole, um, that they're not going to be losing anything, losing PTO time or, or losing something that's important to them. Um, you know, that's, that's a critical step in the process. Yeah. Well, um, let's circle back to that that owner. You said sometimes they're they are the critical piece of the puzzle. Maybe sometimes they might not be if they've you know delegated off or they have systems in place or whatever. But as the as the buyer that's looking at coming in and purchasing this practice, like there is the question of like one, what what do we do with it? Might not be a right the <laughs> right question, but like what happens to the owner after I take over this practice? Right? Like is there a I know we've talked in the past about earnouts, and that's more on like the financial side and what to look for when you're exit planning. But from the buyer's perspective, like, are there risks involved with the employer or the 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 practice owner leaving early, staying on too long? Um, you know, all of that. Like, what what kind of things should we be thinking about specifically about the owner of the practice as we purchase it? Well, I, I think the expectations need to be clear from the from the get go. You know, yeah. um, you know, good, honest conversations. You know, what's the what's the owners the, the current owners' goals? Are they nearing retirement and they have a you know a, a, a two year window or or something like that? Um, but I think you just have to be clear on that. Um, you know, with any purchase agreement as a buyer, you're going to want to non compete. Um, in there that's going to um, uh, limit the um, the seller's opportunity to compete against you for a period of time after the after the sale. So that's going to be, you know, your protection yeah. from them leaving and then, you know, opening up, opening up across the street and taking all those relationships that they have. That's, you know, that's kind of number one. But beyond that, you know, uh, thinking more strategically, how do you align with this person so that, you know, 
they had some skin in the game, um, you know, going forward that that aligns with your goals with 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 the practice. You know, most of the time it's a you know, you want to ensure that the practice uh, functions in a, in a reasonable, reasonable uh, financial position, um, as well as operational capacity over the over the, uh, you know, at least during that first year or two after you close a deal. Um, so you're you really want to have an aligned um um you know purpose or goal with with that with that owner um so if they're going to stay around for a while oftentimes it it might make sense to uh, offer either minority equity in in the company and um so that they retain some equity ownership um or you know you can use uh terms like an like an earn out or, or those types of, of deal structures that will you know set up critical financial or operational targets and if as long as they hit those targets you get paid a certain percentage uh of the purchase price so you, you designate a usually it's a percentage of the purchase price as uh as the earn out and if you can meet or exceed certain criteria you get paid that amount um and if you you know you, you can there's all kinds of ways to structure it but that's essentially the nuts and bolts of it yeah yeah because i think again like if you are buying a practice i'm thinking like small practices here like and then you start making changes there is the risk that you know the owners hightail and run and leave <laughs> like deuces I'm not, i don't like this um so keep finding a way to keep them on board if they're if they are the critical piece of the puzzle um provides for some stability even in the transition right making sure that the wheels don't fall off the bus immediately post purchase or or something like that right yep i apologize my dog is growling at something outside the window here so if you hear a little squirrels are starting to move or something something's out there it's a beautiful day here and he's he's uh perched out here looking at the window growling at something awesome <laughs> okay so we've gotten the uh the owners piece what do we do with the owners the employers, what other big things, maybe is it equipment that we should be concerned about, the the actual physical assets of the practice, or does that? Yeah, so another key piece that that's good, should be part of any deal is just at least doing a walkthrough of the, of the uh-huh. practice, the locations, and things that you're interested in looking at there is what's the layout, um, you know, is there any structural changes that, that would need to make the clinic flow differently and what if so what you know do you, do you allocate some dollars for for some you know renovation um you're also looking at the equipment is the equipment in good shape is it in need of repair is there is it you know uh 40 year old equipment that is completely outdated or is it relatively new you know modern type of equipment um do you do want to pay attention to to that stuff just because you know that's what you're starting with and if there's going to be a lot of uh investment that needs to be made you want to factor that into your decision making as well um you know another key area to look at is uh pools you know if there's any kind of aquatics program there um you really want to um understand how that's set up and what the costs are associated with the aquatics programs um, they can be, you know, they are more expensive to maintain than a traditional clinic, um, you know, so you really got to make sure that there's value and you're driving patients in, you're getting a lot of that, the the physicians and, and uh, 
community is aware that you you have that service available and you're getting additional volume because of it to offset those additional costs. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's the, those are some of the big things I'm looking at. And then then the other things are the just like the office equipment and and computer equipment. Um, yeah. You know, um, do they, they add have, up if you have to buy ten of them? <laughs> right. Do they have uh, enough computer equipment for everyone? Is it you know reasonably new, um, or is it a twenty-year-old laptop that's on its last leg? You know, and, and we just you just got to factor that in because you, you're again you you have to buy ten laptops uh, or ten um, you know Chromebooks or something like that. There's, that's more cost that you didn't plan on. So yeah, looking at all that stuff, making sure it's compatible with your systems that you're going to use going forward and making sure that it's, you know, um, in reasonable shape that you're going to get a few years out of it uh, post-close. So you're not going to be investing dollars right away on, in uh, updating the the IT or, or office equipment. Yeah, I think that was something that it can catch people off guard, right? Especially like in the days of old servers and like big computer oh, yeah. <laughs> units that are in a closet or something like that. The practice that I purchased had an old server that was probably 15 years old or something like that. I mean, the closet would heat up, it would get hot. And it was like, why are we not on the cloud? Right. <laughs> um, but like it costs money and, you know, change and all that. So um, from an operations perspective, what are the things that a, a potential practice acquirer wants to look at? Obviously, you know, the amount of visits per um, per month, maybe visits per new, all of those kind of the big metrics that we know about. Are there anything else we want to be concerned about from an operations perspective? Yeah, the other piece there is productivity. Uh -huh. um, and, and again, from a productivity standpoint, you want to look at it from the lens of what's their payer mix. Yeah. So, and that by that, I mean, if it's a high Medicare population, it's going to operate a lot differently than a, you know, a, uh, you know, more managed care type um, um, volume office. And so, so you want to look at, you know, what their productivity is. Uh, there's several key metrics you can look at. Um, obviously you can look at the visits per day, the, the, uh, visits per licensed staff per day is a, is a good metric or units per clinical hours, a good metric to, to look at. And those tools or those metrics will allow you to assess, you know, where they operate, um, in terms of productivity, if it's a if it's a relatively low productivity office, you know now you have to understand that. Well, if I come in here and the, and pay, the therapists are tr traditionally seeing, you know, six visits a day on an eight-hour day, and my expectation is ten yeah. or twelve, you know, what's that mean? Is that you're going to scare everyone away? Um, um, so you really have to factor that in if, if it's operating a lot differently than, than what, uh, the way that you operate again, there's, there's some questions that you need to drill down on to understand, um, why they operate the way they do. And does, is it consistent with your, uh, philosophy and how you would operate that same practice? Yeah. Now you mentioned payer mix. What is that for people that don't know what payer mix is? I mean, it seems uh, pretty straightforward, it, but well, yeah, it's, it's the percentage of each type of payer um, that you that a practice sees. For instance, um, we can break that into, you know, I, I like to break it into payer type buckets, yeah. 
where you have your managed care bucket and that could be all of your Aetna, your Blue Cross, so all that kind of stuff, just kind of lumped in there because they traditionally operate the same. And then you have your federally funded bucket, which is your Medicare, TRICARES, all those yeah. types of payers. And then you have your workers comp, your um, auto, um, maybe litigation, sometimes in there and, and, and others. So, you know, when you start to look at your, your mix of all the different types of patients you see on, on a daily basis, you'll start to see that there's, it's fairly consistent um, in markets, you know, what that payer mix looks like. And it, it, it'll go up and down if there's some major changes here and there. Um, but, but by and large, it's fairly consistent. And you can, by looking at that, you can determine, you know, what's re reasonable from a units per visit perspective and the productivity side of things. Yeah. And the higher Medicare um, or federally funded payer mix, you just have to be cognizant of the eight minute rule and, and um, staffing and, and um, scheduling to, to make sure that you're um, getting the one-on-one -on -one, um, treatment times and, and you're not overlapping too, too much there. Yeah. Well, and just from a, like a strategic standpoint too, like the, a payer mix might be almost seen as a, a synergy thing, right? Like if, if the bulk of your clients are coming from, let's say Medicare and you're looking at branching into another area and there's a lot of workman's comp coming out of this practice you're looking at acquiring, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So again, what you're buying with, with a practice, uh, you know, like coming from a large strategic, uh, I would say that those guys have enough cash and, and whatever they can put a practice up anywhere. Yeah. They can put, have it up in, in a couple months and it will, you know, they can have that building up and it'll be shiny and new and, and beautiful. But if they don't have the relationships in the market, it's not going to work. Um, so at the end of the day, when you as an acquirer, what you're buying is the relationships that have been uh, developed by this practice over the years. And so um, you really want to make sure that you that those relationships are going to continue po uh, post close. And, and, and when you tie that back to payer mix, uh, to your example, if this organization that you're buying has a strong workers comp program that uh, you can learn from, that's a that's an important piece. You're buying those relationships and now you may be able to leverage those relationships into your location as well going forward and, and expand your workers comp presence by using their tools, their their systems and, and the different things that they've been able to develop on the work comp side within your practice. So yeah, it's, it can be a it can be a synergy, a big time synergy for for uh, uh, potential acquisition. Yeah, and I know we had talked previously. So we've we, let's say we've looked at everything. We feel good about the deal. It's, there's going to be a synergy, or we're going to be able to. You know, we won't lose our shirt on it. Right? <laughs> um, let's talk very very briefly because I know we're not going to get into the mechanics of it, but like. How do how does one go around about funding a purchase like this, right? Especially if you are a small, maybe you've got one clinic, maybe you've got a couple locations. You're not a big strategic with wads of cash to throw around. What what are the options out there? Well, well, obviously the best option if you have it is cash. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, um, you know, but most uh, smaller uh, practices that go to on to acquire, you end up using a small business loan. Um, and that's usually uh, the the um, the number one approach. Yeah. Um, 
beyond that, you can look for other investors. Um, you know, that you could find some some uh, local investors, some angel investors. Um, um, you know, the rich uncle um, kind of thing. Um, but but at the end of the day, unless you're really want to get aligned or have super aggressive plans for growth, um, you know, even private equity could could be an option. Um, but generally, that's for larger platforms. Uh, you know, when when you're in ten or twelve locations and have been doing this for a while, then then you know, uh, uh, private equity may be interested in in taking a look at your practice uh, or, or working with you on one. So you know, but. I would say for a small business, you know, a smaller practice, one, two locations, and they're looking to get their, their next one, 90% of the time it's going to be a small business loan, um, either through their bank or the small business association or, or wherever they can get the best terms. Yeah. Yep. Cool deal. Well, um, if there's anything else that we have not covered about purchasing or looking at purchasing a, a clinic, what have we missed? Have we missed anything? <laughs> well, we, hit a lot, of, sure. we hit a lot of the main main yeah. points. Uh, I think the other piece that that you know bears some some uh, worth mentioning is is the legal side. Yeah. Um, you know, um, buying a practice is not as simple as just you know um, buying a car, like like the, the example you used before. There's a lot of um, documentation, legal work that needs to be done appropriately for it to to work and to minimize tax implications and all that kind of stuff so you do want to have an experienced attorney who understands the uh the the trans who understands transactional law particularly healthcare and in particular the physical therapy side if you if yeah. you can find uh one of those folks there are several out there who that have done you know dozens if not hundreds of of deals over the years and and those are the folks that um, are really going to help you make sure that the, that you're structuring the deal and protecting your uh, interests going forward. So I, I think you know uh, having the right lawyer or the team around you. Not only is it lawyer, you might need an advisor, so someone yeah. such as myself to help you through the process. Um, but but at the end of the day, but having that right team around you to make sure that you don't make mistakes, especially if it's your first one or even second one or sometimes yeah. even a third one so you've done it a few dozen times there's you're going to be learning new stuff every time and and you just want to make sure that you don't make a mistake that's going to cost you um you know make that investment you know not worth what you think it's worth down the road i think that's the that's the critical piece yeah yeah the example of the the attorneys is a huge one i did not realize you know when you're purchasing if depending on the structure of the deal and all that, like if it's a new EIN coming in, then there's like interim agreements and BAAs that need to be signed and all this stuff that you we kind of take for granted. You're like, oh man, we need to make all of this work in the interim while the transition is happening and all of that. From a yes. from an advisor standpoint, because I think you bring a good point here, um, what does like a, a, a mergers and acquisitions advisor provide in this, particularly for the buyer? Like, yeah. Obviously, there's the advice of kind of evaluating the business and maybe you structure the offer this way, but there's more to it for sure, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, my firm does do buy side advisory services and, and um, we structure those. It depends on what the buyer needs, really, at the end of the day. Sometimes it's just a consultation type thing where where they just need, you know, a regular uh, cadence of of 
of information. What are my next steps? You know, is this right? Uh, can you review this for me? And that's those are those are fine. Um, and then sometimes they just they need help from soup to nuts. And yeah, and those are traditional buy side agreements. Um, you know that um, they're, they're they're a little bit more costly for for the buyer, but you're making sure you're doing it the right way and and you're getting the right terms and you're protecting yourself and and so that's what all that's that that stuff does uh, or, or that's what the the value that's offered by using an advisor through the process so it, again it really depends on your experience level and and um how comfortable you are with the process um just because you sold your practice once doesn't necessarily make you an expert but it, yeah. it does it, you have some level of experience with it now and and so you know um i, I think there's there's a there's value that an advisor can provide no matter what level you're at. And, and um, I mean, I, I work with some, some bigger companies that have done many acquisitions, but they just need help understanding what it means for, for the therapy side or, or for um, you know, or for their specific situation. So believe me, it's, there's no uh, bad questions when it comes to that stuff. And, and there's, there's a, a good advisors can be able to provide you a lot of insight that and and ideas that you're probably not thinking of going through the process and you'll be glad that you had some some help. Awesome. Cool deal. Well, Mike, thanks so much for for coming on the show talking with us about this. Um where can people find out about you, about your work, your newsletter, anything like that? Yep. So um physicaltherapybrokers.com is my my website. Um uh you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, I also, if, if you're interested, you could subscribe to my monthly newsletter that um, I send out each month that kind of updates the uh, the physical therapy market, you know, what transactions are occurring, what are the trends, and, and um, provide a little bit of analysis of what I see happening. And, um, you know, that's a, that's been a useful tool for a lot of folks. And, um, but that's the, that's the best way to, to get a hold of me through, through the website. Um, and, um, um, I, I, or you can email me directly at mike at physicaltherapybrokers.com. All right. And we'll link to all that in the show notes. Well, Mike, thanks so much. Thanks, Ralphie. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mike Pekatowski, all about what to look for when acquiring or considering uh, merging or acquiring a healthcare practice, a private healthcare practice. I think one of the big things that cannot be understated, especially if you happen to own a private healthcare practice now, is that some of these things are universal insofar as the financial metrics you need to track in order to understand what your business is worth. You need to understand that if you're going to purchase a practice, but you also need to be aware of the, of the fact that whoever is going to be considering purchasing your practice is going to want that information. And a good way to get a handle on that is simply by running some financial benchmarks or assessments on your practice, both for planning purposes, but then also to understand kind of where you sit financially. So you can tell an acquirer, for example, um, we make X number of dollars per patient visit, or you know, this is our weighted revenue per visit, all, all those types of things that you need to understand and probably that you want to look for when you're purchasing or look into when you're purchasing or considering acquiring another healthcare practice in your space. So not to uh, belabor this at all, but we did develop at Rehab Practice Solutions what we're calling a private healthcare practice planning tool. 
Um, and the way it is broken down, it is five or six parts. It's a like a 13 or 14 page ebook. Um, the first two sections are all about the financial health, just kind of get, getting a financial snapshot of your business and then projecting into the future. So there's a break-even analysis uh, template in there, talks a little bit about um, how to arrive at and calculate some of those numbers, talks a little bit about what break-even, what the break-even point is, right? Um, and then helps you game out, okay, what do we need to change? Um, is it a revenue per visit issue or is it a, a volume issue? You know, break-even analysis are very good at, at, at helping you kind of identify that, kind of the low-hanging fruit to improve your profitability. And then there's a performa in there, which really just helps you plan out or project, you know, based off of where we're at today and the future growth that we're expecting or that we want to have, you know, what would that do to our profitability, to our revenue, to our um, our costs, you know, the variable costs increase as volume increases or production increases sometimes as well, which is why break-even analysis, again, to go back to that, is very helpful. Um, and then the last three sections are in there are about important metrics that you want to track and keep uh, kind of aware of, the importance of bringing in top-line revenue, so attracting new patients or retaining current patients. So we in that book or in that workbook, we talk a little bit about just kind of the high level direct to consumer healthcare marketing strategy, which we're big fans of, which I use to grow the practice that I purchased from around 125 visits a month to consistently in the 500-ish range. Um, so I lay out a little bit of that framework in that workbook. And then we talk about innovation and revenue diversification. So my big contention or my my belief is that the change that we're going to see in healthcare is not going to come from the top down. It's not going to come from policymakers. It's not going to come from insurance payers uh, changing what they're doing. A lot of those stakeholders in healthcare are very much incentivized to maintain the status quo, right? Change in healthcare is going to come from entrepreneurial innovation probably and most likely in the private healthcare space because those of us in private practice are not weighed down by giant corporate burdens or bureaucracies that are tying our hands with innovation. So I'm a big proponent of if you've got a private healthcare practice, it's time to run some little experiments, taking little bets as the book, uh, to quote the book, I can't remember who wrote it, but there's a book called Little Bets. And the, the idea is that you don't bet the farm on a new value-based care initiative, right? But you can begin tiny little incremental adjustments and improvements and taking strategic risks here and there to diversify the revenue at your practice. One, so that you're not reliant on just simply increasing the volume. Now that's very, that's kind of the go-to. If you have issues, financial issues at the practice, what we want to do is increase the volume. You increase the number of patients coming in and you, you fix the problem, right? Top line revenue goes up and sooner or later the margins work out and you end up being profitable. And that is true to some extent. <laughs> you can bring in a whole lot more patients and you will end up shoring up the, the financial problems at your business. However, there's a, one, there's always the risk that the patients go away. And two, we are facing changes in healthcare where fee-for-service or volume-based high-volume high healthcare is going to go away. We know that. You know They're moving in that direction. Payers and policymakers are moving in that direction. So it would make sense, especially as small private practice owners, maybe you've got a couple locations or just one location, to begin making some of those 
little bets and experimenting with certain ways of diversifying your revenue. Maybe it's a um, an online community or wellness coaching program. Maybe it's um, online coursework or resources or downloads or something like that, using your knowledge, becoming a knowledge translator. Or maybe it's simply exploring different ways to provide the services that you're already providing. Maybe it is something like asynchronous telehealth or going directly to, I'm in the occupational physical therapy space, so maybe going directly to a local employer and providing on-site ergonomics and injury prevention programs or something of that nature, still where you're leveraging the skills, the knowledge, the expertise that you have, but you're not cramming it into this fee-for-service, high-volume, you know, burnout-laden <laughs> uh, healthcare, uh, healthcare status quo, right? So anyways, that's all I've got to say about that. If you want to get a copy of that download, head on over to RehabUPracticeSolutions.com. Click on the tab for insights. The very bottom option is resources and downloads, and it is called, um, let me look here, it is called the Private Healthcare Practice Planning Tool. Um, and it's the what we're basically saying is it allows you to check in on the financial health and sustainability of your practice and put a plan together to increase revenue and profitability using what we've developed, which is the, the private healthcare practice financial assessment. And none of this is like super proprietary. It's not like I'm breaking ground here. I'm not discovering a new sun and I'm, I'm not Copernicus, right? Um, I'm just putting some basic financial instruments together and helping you think about them as they relate to your specific healthcare practice or private healthcare practice. So go check it out, rehabupracticesolutions.com. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review, it helps people find us. And if you do run a private healthcare practice and you are looking for some help in putting that plan together to increase your revenue and profitability, reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation with you about how I can help. Um, the best way to do that, you can go to rehabupracticesolutions.com and there's links everywhere to schedule a call with me. Or you can shoot me an email at rafi, R-A-F-I, at rehabupracticesolutions.com. All right. Until the next time, be safe, be healthy. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.